In this How They Did It podcast episode, we speak with the Head of Innovation Services at Allens, Liza Greenwood. Liza leads strategic transformation programs for lawyers at Allens, focusing on innovation skills development and creating behavioural shifts. They lead with the mindset of getting better at getting better. In what is an exciting time for law and innovation, we discuss the emergence of design thinking in the legal industry and new legal tech on the rise, including how they overcome time constraints, the lawyer mindset and perfectionist mentalities to curate a culture of innovation, the importance of capability building, including an inspiring story of how one junior lawyer taught a whole new group how to adopt design thinking as a methodology within law. We also talk about their concept of the innovation time bank, an organizational incentive to breed creativity and change the culture of time constraints. And finally, we also discuss some of the legal tech solutions that they're developing at Allens and how these concepts could apply to other industries. I really enjoyed this episode, some of Liza's really practical examples of how she is doing innovation, both within law and specifically at Allens, and we hope you do too. Liza Greenwood, welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. It is an exciting time in law and innovation, I think, all around. The last few years have seen the emergence and adoption of legal design. We've seen legal tech explode, new startups coming in. Um, We're also seeing a greater focus on customer experience. We're really interested to understand what has this meant for you, Liza, in your role as Head of Innovation Services at Allens? Yeah, a few things. And and you're right, there's there's really so many things you can do in this space and and really just an exciting time to, to be a lawyer coming into the industry. Um, the, the things that I'm excited about, or I think the things that, um, uh, you know, sort of differentiate Allens is around their investment in the people and the capability. Um, so there's, a, there's an acknowledgement there that, yes, technology is part of innovation, but um, really focused on making sure we've got the right skills um, and capability in order to address client needs. And there's, there's been a lot of work Um, around that in the firm in understanding client pain points and needs and having um, processes and organisational structures in place to make sure that um, we're able to address client need and and really provide an excellent uh, service that goes above and beyond. Mm. Tell us a bit about some of that capability building and what have you done there that's different maybe to some other organisations? Yeah, absolutely. So a few years ago, we we took a look at our operating model and how we're delivering uh, legal tech and innovation to the firm. And where we landed, uh, which which is working great, I'm, I'm really happy with with um, how we've distributed the capability. First, saying that there's there there was quite a bit of investment and understanding from at a leadership level that we needed the right people in the right roles and the right teams in order to support the organisation to to be great at this. Um, So the way we're structured in our formal uh, innovation group is three teams. The group's called Innovation and Digital Solutions. One team, which is the uh, longest running team, Integrated Legal Solutions, they work with lawyers on matters 
to help them use the right tech for the job. So they've really been providing that support um, and it's been quite cutting edge in the technology we've invested in for, for over 20 years. Uh, but what changed was we, we uh, created two new teams a couple of years ago. So there's the Legal Product Lab, and that's about seven or eight headcount. They uh, work with legal teams, mostly squads, we'll get to them a little later down the track, but to identify solutions or identify problems really, design and co-create solutions, and then also help with adoption of solutions. Because you can build all sorts of wonderful things, but you're not going to get the benefits and, and uh, you know, realise the impact unless you actually have people, people using tools. And finally, this is the one I love talking about because it's my team. We have a small team called the Innovation Centre, uh, and we're really focused on uh, behaviours and skills and making sure that we've got the organisational structures in place so that people can get involved in innovation, so they understand what it means in the context, context of legal practice, uh, and so that they're a little bit more guided in terms of what they're looking for when we're talking about innovation solutions. It can be a very broad term that people don't necessarily understand unless you define it. So working really closely with practice groups to, to help them uh, understand what it means, but also get involved in, in developing solutions and addressing client needs. Mm. Smart. So a lot of readjustment or adjustment internally to get that strategy right and a few okay. different approaches needed for different types of innovation. That's right. Can we even go, I'm really interested as, as a starting point to understand how does, how does Allen's define innovation? How do you look at it in these different streams? So it's quite broad. Change that adds value is, is, is our sort of tagline. We focus though on three specific areas. One is around partnering and collaboration. So that's ensuring that, you know, innovation doesn't happen in a silo beyond that formal structure that I described. We have a network, what we call an innovation network, which comprises of um, you know, people in practice groups that, that are interested and want to get involved. We have innovation champion partners in each group, um, a, a partner advisory board that helps us uh, allocate funding to, to, to development. All of our business partners, so marketing, um, you know, pricing um, knowledge experts that contribute to, to design and development and, and adoption of solutions. Um, the second piece that we focus on is called practice transformation. And that's a real sweet spot for the innovation center. So it's about, I think it's been described as getting better at getting better. So making sure that we're using best practice uh, and we're using a you know, process uh, that works for the organization to understand client needs, design solutions and, and, and deliver to those solutions. And then finally, uh, there's a recognition there that the last bucket is called profitable growth. And that's the recognition that we are a business. We, you know, we all have limited capacity um, and time to, to get things done. So we do need to make sure that what we're developing not only improves the client experience and the lawyer experience, but also makes good business sense. So that's that viability, you know, part of the um, innovation lens is coming in there, making sure that we, again, have processes in place that actually look on look at return on investment, um, make sure that uh, we're focusing even our problem, our research on the right areas, that that aligns with, with strategy, 
practice strategy, but also firm strategy, um, and that we're, we're building things that people actually want to use and there's, there's a market um, for what we're, what we're developing and what we're putting out there. Beautiful. We'll talk about the first bucket and the third bucket in a moment. I think we'll talk about some of the outcomes that you've been able to drive in those two. I want to talk about the second in a little bit more detail, that kind of transformation space that you spend a bit of time in. Yes. Naturally, quite a few challenges, I would imagine, you know, in given the work that you do. One of the biggest constraints that we typically see doing this sort of work in law is time. How, how are you overcoming those kinds of challenges as an organisation and yourself as a leader in the space yeah absolutely so I think I think it's acknowledged that any professional services organization that uh, records and builds time puts a lot of pressure on on that as a production unit and and people can feel constantly busy they truly are busy you know there's, there's client demand um, we have spent quite a lot of time getting the right structure around helping people find the time. There's a, there's a couple of aspects to this. One is around the, the structure itself. So we have a um, within the innovation network, a structure called innovation squads. Um, these are self-selecting lawyers in each practice group. So there's 12 squads um, and of varying sizes, depending on the, the headcount in each practice group. But across the board, there's about 170 people in the organisation who, who participate in squads. And they're tasked with um, identifying problems, helping us divine solutions and, and uh, implementing those solutions. Within that structure, there's a lead, a, a partner champion who uh, helps us find capacity uh, within that lawyer group and, you know, Different practice groups are busy at different times, so we try and leverage uh, free time when we can. Um, and really it's about sort of guiding and uh, supporting them to turn their mind to this activity. So we have a lot of enthusiasm. People really do want to get involved. They can see the benefit for the organisation. Who, who doesn't want to, you know, streamline a process or, or make services, um, you know, improve services for clients? Uh, but they, they struggle with the how and the what. So the, through the squad structure, we're able to uh, create a fairly structured environment that gives them some, I would say, you know, mental space, mind space to turn their time to these activities uh, and do that in a fairly safe environment because you're with like-minded people. Um, we've attached to each of these squads different subject matter experts, so IT knowledge, um, sometimes marketing, uh, the lab, uh, so a lab person plus the integrated legal solutions expert will all be present at uh, squad meetings. They happen quarterly, and that means that they don't feel that they're, you know, going in blind and and not getting a lot of support and guidance on on how to innovate, but also what to focus on when we're talking about problems that can be solved by legal tech or by you know process improvement. Mm. What are you really proud of? that's come out of these innovation squads? Good question. I think something that's happened recently that I really loved, it's not so much on the, the tech side, I've got lots of great you know, tech solutions that I'm happy to talk to, but teaching and coaching 
people to collaborate and participate in a new way. So it can, it's very easy to fall into the habit of, you know, somebody raises an idea, everybody else shoots it down, or, you know, a very one-to-many uh, format for meetings. We've introduced, we've started using uh, Miro, but you could really use any sort of whiteboard application and a, and a framework we've created called the Idea Pathway, uh, which isn't a process, it's, it's a conversation guide and it helps squads direct their attention um, and sort of prime them for what they should be focusing on when they're looking for innovation problems and then steps them through what the rest of that conversation should look like. So the framework together with Miro means that um, not only are they sort of talking about or thinking about the right areas that we that we want them to focus on for um, for squads, what we want them to look at is, you know, which matters have repeatable and predictable tasks um, that you know can potentially um, you know aren't the best use of their time, and they'd like you know those tasks that are that are a bit manual and, and boring, uh, not adding a lot of value, and, and we can potentially do something about. What are junior lawyers spending too much time on? Mm. So often in a law firm, uh, because we get graduates every year, that model is not especially prone to innovation because as a, as a person doing a boring task, you're thinking, that's okay, I only have to do it for this year and then next year yeah, a grad will do it, the next grad lawyer. <laughs> we love our junior lawyers um, and we don't want them to be to be doing boring tasks but also that that's often a sweet spot for mm. tasks that can really be improved and don't need, need to be done by anyone um, because they, we can use technology there to augment the processes using the idea pathway together with uh, you know collaboration software like Miro we're able to facilitate um, sections of squad meetings so that everybody feels like they're participating. We'll go through those questions, have some quiet time where everyone's adding to the board, uh, do some voting with emojis so that we can work out where the, where the energy is and then uh, move through the rest of the framework uh, on the board as well. So we look at some root cause analysis, why hasn't it been solved before, the scale, which is really important to have that conversation up front. We don't want to be focused on things that only affect a couple of people, you know, two times a year. So how many practice groups have the same issue? Um, you know, how much time does it take? How many people are impacted? How often do we run that type of activity or task or matter? And then the all important, okay, who's going to take this forward? So part of empowering the squads to get involved in next steps is around having that conversation, who's putting their hand up to run with this and which subject matter expert in the firm, it's not always someone from the innovation team, depending on the problem and the, the idea, um, are they going to work with on next steps? What I'm really proud about in that space is that people have started uh, knocking on my door and saying, hey, I saw you use Miro in a meeting and I want to use it in another meeting I'm, I'm, I'm holding. Or I, I really liked the, the brainstorming technique, you know, the brain writing technique that you used in a meeting and I want to use it in, in another forum. So that means that people are getting value from, from the activities and they're enjoying them. I think they're really enjoying the participation part of it as well and they're wanting to apply that to other parts of the business. It's like going in by stealth in some ways and, and uh, trying to be too overt with 
forcing people to use innovation uh, techniques and new way of, new ways of working, but just showing them and then um, they'll see the value and, and want to use it themselves. That is definitely one that you should be proud of. I think it's really interesting. It sounds like an adaption of your kind of more traditional idea capturing software as well, you know, where sometimes people put things into the FR and you don't know where it's gone or what's happened to it. But instead of actually getting people together to sort through this, you know, getting a sense of what people are interested in, you're creating engagement, they're seeing it happen live, you're creating accountability with the partners and the owners and all of those sorts of things, as well as creating buy-in where people are more likely to kind of put up their hand to be part of progressing something like this. So yeah, it's, they it's feel like unique and smart. Yeah. They, they feel like they're participating and they're actually building it as they go. And yeah, I'm happy to share too, it's not foolproof. You know, some of the learnings from this process is that there are some squads that struggle to pick up where they left off at the next meeting or uh, continue to update each other on progress uh, between meetings. Meetings are quarterly, so you don't want, you know, tools to be put down in between. Uh, and we're still working on how can we provide that continuity and then when something is submitted um, to the innovation team as something to have discovery, formal discovery performed on it, uh, how do they see it? How do we provide visibility of all of that? So we've got some internal systems that we're using. I don't think we've we've, we've got it 100% right yet, uh, but certainly it's something that we've got lots of feedback on and we're, and we're working on making sure we've got that transparency. But the, the squad structure itself and the conversations that they're having are really, um, really valuable. And I think people are getting value out of participating, which is, which is important. Mm, so good are there any specific metrics that you are looking at in order to to assess the success of it you know is it a, is it a bit of a numbers game in there as well of how many things we're starting to see actually implemented is it are you starting to see more volume in terms of how successfully things are implemented killing things experiments what are we looking at uh, so on the squad structure itself we measure engagement and participation mm -hmm. and discuss that with the champions uh, when we catch up with them quarterly so we're looking for things like how many people are contributing to meetings actually attending meetings how many people are, are co-creating with us how many people across the firm are spending time on innovation we know that because we have a we have a, a investment matter that people put their time to when they're contributing to those activities. On the solutions themselves, we're probably not as good as it good at it as we'd like to be. So we've got a big project over the next 12 months to take a closer look at for all of the legal tech solutions that we have in place in the business, that so this will be more internal facing than client facing, which what are the types of matters that each can apply to? Then what, what, where are they actually being used on those candidate matters that, that, they, sh that they should be used on? And uh, what's the shortfall? How can we put in place tracking systems to um, get a read on uptake and then set targets for what that uptake should look like? So we have, we have a rough idea and it's a little bit more anecdotal. Sometimes we have systems in place to track uptake um, so we have some good figures around 
I would say it's a little bit more um, anecdotal and we have specific data points as an example. Um, one of our key solutions for clients, Arrow Direct, we, we have um, figures on how much time and costs that's saved for clients. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wouldn't say we have a, you know, across the board system of tracking adoption and uptake of the actual solutions and that is going to be a, a really big focus over the next over the next 12 months. Beautiful no it's a great start. So what tell me about some of these we've spoken about time being one of the biggest constraints when it comes to the innovation squads so one of your babies what were some of the biggest challenges in getting that uptake and even bringing them to life and maybe even specifically around some of those mindsets this is something you and I have spoken about a few times Yes. You know, how, how have you managed to overcome that, that some of the changes in mindset that was required? So, yeah, so we did a bit of work on trying to understand what the barriers are broadly to transforming legal teams and, and, and also a lot around, you know, spending time, but also um, any, any existing mindsets or existing organisational structures that's making it difficult for people to, to get involved and to take a different approach using new way of working and I, I sort of think of the the, the barriers um, to this in, in three broad categories one is around um, traditionally maybe it's changing but traditionally uh, lawyer the lawyer mindset uh, seems to sit in direct opposition to what we call an innovator's mindset and that plays out in a few ways so as an example lawyers are typically quite autonomous they sort of are in their offices and they like to take things away and work on them solo um, and get them you know to almost perfect before anyone sees them there so there's sort of two um, you know can 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 steer away from collaboration and also that that whole perfectionist um, approach sort of stands in direct opposition to what we think of as innovation mindsets where it's collaborative you get a lot of views you get feedback on on early um, prototypes and involve people in the ideation stage and in the problem finding stage, not just in you know, feedback on the final product. A second one is around um, time to innovate, um, and I've touched on that briefly. And the third one is we had feedback that people want to get involved, but they're not sure how and they're not sure who to go to. So to me, that's around a feeling that there, there isn't enough skills and there isn't enough support uh, within them and within their organisation to support them. So on the first one on mindset, uh, for me, what we've done is tackled the whole safe to fail uh, issue. So a lot of the times they are willing to try things, but they're a little bit worried about how it's going to look when it goes wrong or saying the wrong thing and getting getting shot down. It's a, it's a highly competitive high performance culture. A lot of the people in it feel that um, they've been getting you know, great grades and they've done a great job their whole life. So the idea of putting something out there and then having any you know, criticism or, or being challenged is, is, is a real challenge for them. Uh, and in that instance, I think the, the squads, but also the training that we've run, the workshops that we've run, sometimes in tandem with Naked Ambition, um, have created that safe space to practice innovation um, without the stress of 
you know, it then being presented to a partner or or necessarily even linking, you know, back to real life. So sometimes it can really work to teach the skills in a almost in a vacuum so that they're not too distracted by their day-to-day -day and the problems that exist in their in their real workplace and just learn the skills, just learn the methods. I do find though that that needs to be coupled with and you need some really strong uh, association then with what they do in real life. Otherwise they do walk out thinking, okay, what did that have to do with my life and, and how does that apply to my job? You sort of have to really clearly articulate the connection to the real world. So we, we do those things together. And an example that I've run recently with um, within our junior lawyer program is to share and teach uh, design thinking as a, as a method and as a, as a model. But then all of the examples that we share are design thinking applied to legal practice, whether that be visual contracts or you know, access to justice. And then within that same session, and we have to cram it all into an hour, also do some light discovery and start talking about, okay, what are the problems that you'd want to start solving uh, and getting people participating and activities happening and having a conversation around doing discovery. It does mean that we can't necessarily take people all the way through uh, the process, but it gives them that space to try and play and use a different approach uh, and not feel too threatened by, you know, necessarily having to apply it to their to their roles within within that construct. Yeah, so good. I want to stay on that too because the question I've got is: Do you think design thinking techniques make for better lawyers? You know, we're talking about while you think on that, you know, that giving them this you know, rapid introduction to this, the main stages. So presumably the double diamond and the key mindsets across, you know, what is design thinking and then diving into discovery techniques like practicing a beginner's mindset, you know, generating empathy, these sorts of things early on, embracing yeah. ambiguity. Have you got any specific stories or are you seeing some of that even more anecdotally in some of that junior cohort? and the way that they're approaching things? Is that starting to emerge? I think so. To answer your first question, I, I can't think of any reason why design thinking wouldn't make better lawyers. And, and primarily because of the focus on the customer and the focus on the client and, and building empathy. And that's something that we encourage across the firm as part of our client experience program regardless, but it it fits in really nicely with, you know, the starting point for, for what we want to focus on from an innovation perspective. Certainly, I think with the junior cohort, there's more openness to try new things. They've come from uni now with some, some of them with an understanding of uh, project management and, you know, little bit of innovation insights but but the concepts around putting the client first and uh, design thinking broadly so they're absolutely more open to uh, trying the approaches um, they do struggle I think when they then try and use them in in say matter meetings or when they're trying to manage up I did have a I do have a great story this is an example I think of creating space 
uh, for the mindset, even if it's not necessarily related to your core, um, you know, purpose or your core work product. So I had um, a junior lawyer who attended, I think it was one of your workshops, Fiona, the four-hour um, uh, design thinking sort of start to end workshops that we ran here at Allen's. And he moved to the Hanoi office and wanted to run an ideation workshop with the office there because he's, he's keen, he loves the method and, and can see that it works. And uh, as with all good uh, innovation processes, we started with research in the office to see, you know, what, what's a big problem for them. And what ended up coming back was they wanted to improve the connection between Hanoi as a satellite office and the Australian offices. Now, that's not really where the innovation team plays. That's something that, you know, the, the HR or people in development uh, team would normally tackle. Uh, but rather than, you know, sort of handing over to that group, I thought this is still a good example. This is still a great, you know, opportunity to share the techniques with an office that I probably won't be able to reach face-to-face. -face. Uh, so he was so great. He wanted to do all of the prep himself and I only needed to give him a bit of guidance on how to structure the session. Um, he had a partner do the introduction. He used um, ideation, so he came up with a problem statement. He led them through, you know, understanding the problem and then doing some ideation. They used an effort versus impact um, poster. He sent me pictures back afterwards of everybody, you know, collaborating and, and discussing the ticket notes and so on. So yeah, that was that was just a great example of someone picking up and running with the tools, being open to new ways of working, uh, but also applying the mindset, applying the techniques to anywhere in the firm that needs them, rather than being too focused on, you know, legal process solution development, which is which is what the, the sweet spot is for, for our group. But I find that's a great way to, to have a ripple effect across the firm. Because uh, who knows who was sitting in that session in Hanoi who loves techniques and have used them now in their method, in their in their meetings with clients or, or in their office meetings. So that's a little story that I think illustrates the ripple effect that you can have. And the kind of movement that you're creating, the fact that he felt empowered to be able to do that. He yes. gave him the permission and he just, as you said, he's, he's run with it. And that's, with it. that's, that's career right. making and that's translatable to so much, so many other things that he will begin to do in his career as well when it comes to client facing work and, you know, it just goes on, doesn't it? Exactly. And they do have to do, they have to try it first. So the, yeah. the workshops themselves and the training, as long as we really connect it to uh their jobs and their profession, I think that the penny drops and they're, and they're happy to use the skill. So the second barrier I mentioned was around not having enough time to innovate. And uh, I'm sure it's a, a challenge that so many organisations face. You've got enthusiasm, but everybody has a day job. And unless you create time and make it easy for them to spend time, things come to a standstill and take a long time and then people lose their enthusiasm and they don't feel like they're, they're getting value out of participation. So I think what's important there is defining roles uh, and actually dedicating roles. And, and there's 
you know, lots of different ways to, to get dedicated capacity, even if you don't necessarily have headcount. Uh, the way, and this is really to, you know, support the people who are in the business who are, who are trying to get involved in addition to their day job. I think there needs to be some dedicated capacity. And that can be really hard to get if you don't have budget uh, and you don't have the mechanism to put in a business case and just get headcount. But we've used uh, things like secondments from the practice group. So even someone who's been with us full time for six months has, once they've gotten up to speed, done such a great job at delivering uh, important strategic priorities just because they're focused on that one thing. We've used interns and students who work a couple of days a week. They can often do, often do some research for you on a particular, you know, um, competitor capability or, or an emerging trend that then gives you the business case to create the capacity and to create the headcount that you need. Uh, and then on top of that, I think with the people that are volunteers, the people that have day jobs and they're, they're just trying to get involved, they also need some structure around what their responsibilities and the expectations are. And, and this can feel like a stretch when you're setting it up because you're thinking, well, they're volunteering the time. I don't want to be too directive about what we expect from them and what, what we want them to do with their time. But we actually found, especially with the, the squads, that when they were first set up, they were sort of left to their own devices a bit and not given too much instruction. And we had a round of feedback with them and they felt that they're really floundering, that they don't know what we want from them. They don't know what they should be doing in meetings. They don't know what their outputs are and just basically what they should be doing day to day as, a, as an interaction squad member. So we had created a squad leader role, which is someone who is a senior leader, but not quite at partner level, and they chair meetings, they come up with the agenda, they they keep things on track and, and, and make sure that everyone knows what they're doing within the squad. Also, and this has been quite a successful role, the squad coordinator role, uh, which is normally a junior lawyer in the um, in the squad, and they schedule the meetings and they circulate a draft agenda, they take down action items, make sure that, um, you know, things are recorded and so on. So, for a junior lawyer, although, you know, one of the things they do is come up with great ideas, but it's a really tangible, real way to contribute to the operations of, of innovation within the firm. And so it's so important to have people understand what, they, what they're supposed to be doing, basically. Yeah. Then when it comes to, you know, dedicating time to product development or solution development, one of the things that we found in our, in our feedback from lawyers was that there was more or less a disincentive to dedicate time to help us design and, and create solutions in that uh, where they were putting or recording their time was counted as in a law firm it's called non-billable and that means that uh, it doesn't count towards their, their targets, it doesn't count towards their annual um, billable incentive targets and it means that any time they spend um it's not that it's not looked at, but in all honesty, you know, it might be 10 o'clock at night, they're deciding whether they should do a uh, performance review, um, prep for a performance review or uh, a knowledge, you know, precedent or spend some time on innovation and they're choosing between all of these other non-billable activities and there's really nothing to push them over the line and say, work on the innovation, work, yeah. work on the solution. Uh, so we created something called the Innovation Time Bank. It went through several iterations of feedback. So we did paper prototyping with some, some um, 
lawyers and some champions and worked out what was going to work from a firm perspective. And basically, we've now got a bucket of, of budget or a bucket of money that's provided by the practice groups. And when lawyers spend time on these specific uh, priority products, so they're normally instructed by the product, product manager on, you know, what inputs needed, normally legal expertise, it counts towards their target. It, it counts as, you know, um, I, shouldn't be, I shouldn't be doing quotation marks, but it counts as quotation marks, billable time. Yeah. Not billable. Practice groups pay for it and um, then lawyers aren't, aren't re receiving a disincentive by spending time on these activities. That was quite a, a significant structural change. It was something that took, you know, a good at 10 months to get through yeah. all of the checks and balances and get the okay from the practice groups and leadership teams and so on that we could use um, budget in that way. Uh, but it's been broadly successful. I think we do need to spend a little bit more time encouraging people to use it. We, we, we haven't hit budget and we'd like people to use it more. But I think uh, the fact that it's there and in place in the, in the organisation now is a demonstration of Alan's putting their money where their mouth is mm. and actually saying, yes, we, we value these contributions and we're going to, to credit you um, from an incentive perspective for, for spending time on those activities. Yeah. So smart because it's, I mean, you just, it's just saying like it's like just any other strategic initiative in the firm. Just okay. treat it like that and that everything that you just captured there, you know, around we've got to give people space to innovate, but space doesn't mean no structure. We still need directives around how we behave. It's not wild freedom. It's, you know, to grab another quote from one of our previous, you know, constraints breed creativity is something that we talk about as well. Yes, they need to right. be operating in something that is similar or else it's just, especially when it's not your full day job, you know, right. it's too impo difficult just to sweat, switch complete mode of working for that 20 percent so it's That's something right. they don't have to think about give them that consistency and also as a firm you're keeping the messaging really consistent around what you value in terms of how people spend their time it's still a, a billable hour. we're not eradicating billable hours altogether we have to work within this and that's what we have to do yes. how do we mirror that you know use that constraint to our advantage and carve out the time. Time bank, love it. Innovation time bank. That's your quotable quote, people. <laughs> so and the good. last one was really around skills and support. I think I've already touched on um, training, yeah. but we are. We think it's really important to role model and to make sure that just in time coaching is available for everyone who's trying to to get involved. So um, there's the there's the formal training, but then when they're actually working with us on solutions, making sure that as a team we are we have the skills and are able to demonstrate the techniques so that they can, you know, so that the skills are reiterated and the techniques are used again and again. So whether it be, you know, discovery or, you know, clearly defining a problem or prototyping and experimenting, that we're using that language. We're not dumbing it down, but but actually applying it to real solutions uh, and real real design and development so that they can see the, the techniques in practice and, again, they're then more likely to, to apply them to their day-to-day -day job. Nice. Speaking of real solutions, can we wrap up the chat with uh, maybe you sharing a couple of 
the big challenges that you've managed to solve, new services that you're able to talk about, what has Alan's done in the last couple of years, even more broadly as a full innovation function that's now in the hands of clients? Yes, happy to talk about it. So the, the, the big ticket items I think that are, that are currently in clients' hands that I'm really proud of, one is, uh, and this is you know, something that's taken you know, maybe three years of iteration to get it where exactly where we want it to be, uh, but all along we've been delivering uh, to clients in different versions and getting feedback and so on. So it's a, a product called Contract Assist. And basically I'll, I'll start with the problem we had, uh, auto financing clients who would need volumes of documents created uh, around financing. Uh, so if you imagine, you know, someone gets a car loan, there's a, there's a contract that goes with that and, and, and the scale is quite large. And there's times when they need to brief out an external firm uh, to, to, to have the work done because it's a bit more com complex, but there's times when it's pretty simple and, and the business or the legal team themselves, the in-house legal team, can uh, produce the contract because it's simple. So we created a platform, um, one of our automation platforms, where they input uh, answers to questions and, and complete certain variables. The, that then creates a contract for them automatically. Uh, if it's a simple version, if it's a more complex version, it creates the contract, but it also instructs Allens to review the contract. And we've actually found, you know, this is a solution that can potentially be used in, in other, uh, not just auto financing, but with, with other matter types and work types. Uh, and we've uh, gotten great feedback from, from clients on that uh, in that they feel like, they're empowered now to manage their own uh, data set or contract set. It also means that as they're building contracts, all of the variables, variables that they're inputting are going into a database or into the platform. They can find them. So it's, it's become a bit of a contract management system as well. And they can draw insights from, from the variables that they're putting into those contracts. So one of the bugbears for, for lots of our clients is that uh, contract information is static and I can't get anything valuable out of it but because of the way they're creating the contracts it's actually structured data and they can they can now do something with it so we've, we've had um, three instances of, of implementing that for clients and um, each time we learn something uh, each time we improve the product and we're at a point now where we think we can um, make the same kind of structure applicable to other sectors not just not just auto finance. The second one I think I'll talk about is, is not so much tech related, but more a capability. What we found, so this is Arrow Direct, which is which is on our website, but um clients for clients. We'll just start that one again if that's okay. <laughs> Arrow Direct. <laughs> Second uh, so the second one, yep. Right. Thanks. So the second one I'm, I'm really proud of and, and would love to talk about is Arrow Direct. Uh, so what we found was our clients were, with, with the explosion of data, uh, when they're trying to manage uh, regulatory investigations, uh, they tend to be overwhelmed with the amount of work that needs to be done and they don't necessarily have uh, the technology, so the, the machine learning technology or the internal capability to run investigations themselves. Mm -hmm. So typically a corporate legal team would brief that job out to a law firm, but what they were finding was depending on the complexity or the risk 
of the investigation, there wasn't necessarily always budget to have uh, you know, law firm lawyers run with the entire matter. So what we did was we basically gave access our, our clients access to our integrated legal solutions team or our um, our direct review services team uh, so that they could run the matters themselves using the capability and the technology that we've been investing in in 20 years. So typically it's, you know, Alan's lawyers that get to use these teams and this capability, uh, but now clients can access it directly. So they're, they're running the matter themselves and just getting the benefit of all of our all of our expertise and our years of investment in, in this technology. Um, so that's a that's an exciting one. So it's, it's a different way of working. There's a, there's a tech aspect to it, but basically it's just removing a barrier to accessing a particular service. Uh, and it's been it's been really successful. Um, we've had great feedback from clients and we're and we're you know excited about building out that that service and that capability. Yeah that's such an interesting one as well because it's a real you're capturing a value stream that potentially you might have turned away previously as well these are clients you wouldn't have had it's almost adjacent uses in other professional services firms as well it's just as applicable isn't it exactly absolutely you're just dealing in you know 20 years worth of ip how do we make (laughs) it consumable (laughs) in a kind of diy you know mine it yourself very clever so good um so many, thank you so much, Liza. So many fantastic reflections in this whole conversation. I think this is, you know, this is going to be gold to a lot of people who are in this role starting out. I think there's a lot of learnings that are not just applicable to law. But what I really love about your attitude is this, you know, we've done it our way. You've almost used this approach of let's listen to what our people need at Allen's from innovation, let's, you know, get out there and experiment with some of these techniques. Let's iterate as we go. And you're starting to, you know, after you've been at this for, what, four or five years or something now, it's coming up, you know, really starting to see some of that momentum and the runs on the board. So congratulations. It's fantastic to see. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to reach out um, and get some more information, very happy to be contacted. Perfect. Where can people get in touch with you, Liza? can just email me uh, at liza.greenwood at allens.com.au. Perfect. We'll put that detail in the um, show notes as well um, so people are happy to hear or keen to hear a bit more, they can get in touch. Great. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Liza. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Naked Ambition podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did like what you heard, please do subscribe wherever you get your pods or even better, leave us a rating and a comment. And of course, if you have any questions about anything we discussed or you're keen to do something similar in your organisation, don't hesitate to get in touch with us here at Naked Ambition or even drop me a line, Fiona Triarca, via a direct message on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you.